Merry Christmas and welcome to Walking by Faith. We're not just celebrating Christmas, but embracing the relevance of God in every part of our lives. Our goal is to empower you with the tools you need to grow in your faith journey. And that's why you can access Pastor's Notes in a snap. Download the Walking by Faith app today to follow along. Plus, for more content, visit us on YouTube or Rumble and be sure to like and subscribe. It's easy to fall into the misconception that God is angry, yet the reality is that we're highly favored and fully accepted in Christ. Join us as we explore the limitless depth of God's favor, understanding that it is a gift that transforms our lives and invites us into a profound relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's get started with today's message, Highly Favored. But today, Christmas, I want to take us to the beginning of the Christmas story when the angel came and appeared to Mary, which is found in Luke, the first chapter. It says in the 26th verse, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Gabriel comes from the presence of God, greets Mary, says that you're highly favored, says you're going to conceive, and then literally begins to prophesy about the child Jesus and about his kingdom. But I'd like to just take and begin in that 28th verse where the angel came in and said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, um, among the, the, the women of the day in Israel, the greatest honor that they could possibly ever imagine would be to be chosen to be the mother of the Redeemer. There was no higher honor than that that anyone could even imagine. And when the angel came in and said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, we tend to think, well, that puts Mary on a pedestal like no one else could ever be on. And by the way, we honor her as being chosen to be the mother of the Lord. But in Ephesians chapter one, in verse six, it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, I want you to say me, made us or me, accepted in the beloved. 
Now, the exact same word that's used, highly favored, is the word accepted. The exact same Greek word. So just like Mary was highly favored, the Bible says that you, in the exact same way, are highly favored in the beloved. Now, I think that's something to get excited about because a lot of people think, well, God's mad. God's disappointed. God's angry. God's holding out. God's resentful. Or at least God's in a bad mood when it comes to me. But the Bible says you are highly favored, exactly the same as he said about Mary. You are accepted in the beloved. And, and by the way, how many of you know that's where you are? You're in him. You are in union with him. So the favor of God is on you. Now, by the way, a, a really good working definition from the Greek of favor would be the friendly disposition from which kindly acts proceed. It's a synonym of grace. It's to assist, to provide with special advantages, to receive preferential treatment that is freely bestowed. Do you realize that because you're in Christ, you have special advantages, that you have preferential treatment because of what Jesus has done, because of what he purchased for you? And, and um, this may not make you excited to realize that you're favored by God. But I want to give you a little backstory on something in the Old Testament to maybe help you grasp what this really means. So Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob, but he's his father's favorite. Right? And his father treats him special. And his brothers, the Bible, say they hate him. They can't even speak peaceably about him. And the day comes, they have an opportunity. They beat him up, they throw him in a pit, and they sell him as a slave. And he's taken down to Egypt where he's bought by a man named Potiphar. Well, how many know that's not a good break, first of all? Your, your relatives hate you, they beat you up, and they sell you as a slave. So he's working as a slave in Egypt. And Potiphar, the, the Bible says that Joseph was handsome, right? Both in appearance and form. Right? He's probably kind of like a miniature Arnold Schwarzenegger type, you know. Just look at me. And, well, maybe not. <laughs> so, so, so Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, says that Potiphar's wife would actually have Potiphar come in with her friends were there and show him off. And the Bible tells us that she kept on saying, you know, hey, sleep with me, sleep with me. And he refuses. And finally, one day, they're alone in the house, and she says, sleep with me. And he says, no. She grabs his coat, and he runs and leaves the coat. Well, she puts that right next to her, and when her husband gets home, he said, hey, he tried to rape me, and when I scream, he ran. He gets thrown in prison. He's falsely accused of attempted rape. While he's in prison, the Bible says that there's a couple of men there that work for the king, and he interprets their dreams. And he says, remember me. And they forget him. But a few years later, Pharaoh finally has a dream. After he's been forgotten in prison, nobody can interpret the dream. The man says, hey, when I was in prison, there was a man there, a Hebrew, and he interpreted my dream. And exactly what he said came to pass. 
So he goes and he stands before the Pharaoh. Now, get this, he wakes up in a dungeon. And he stands before Pharaoh, he interprets his dream, and he gives him a strategy on what to do. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 7 and verse 10, that God delivered him, that's Joseph, out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So God gave him two things, favor and wisdom. When he went and stood before Pharaoh, he woke up in a dungeon, a prisoner, and he went to bed prime minister. So you say, what would that, I like to say this in two different ways. One is this, one day of favor can get you more than a thousand days of labor. There were a lot of people who wanted to be prime minister, but none of them were chosen. But one day of favor with God got Joseph more than a thousand days of labor could have ever gotten him. And the other thing I like to say is this, God can get you anywhere in 24 hours. Your life can be totally, radically, completely different in 24 hours. And what made the difference? Favor. Favor. God's favor on his life. The Bible says this about Jesus. It says that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. And in favor. So you can have, he increased. In other words, you can have different levels of favor resting on your life. In Psalms, the fifth chapter, it says this, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. God's favor around your life can protect you physically. It can protect you emotionally. It can protect you in absolutely every way. Um, one of the stories in the Bible that, that absolutely fascinates me every time I get to read it is the story of a woman named Ruth. Uh, she's a Moabite. She's married to an Israelite who dies. She stays with her mother-in-law and they come to Bethlehem. And she says this to her mother-in-law. She says, please let me go to the field and gleam heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. So what the poor of the land would do after the, the reapers had passed through the, 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 the field one time, the poor would go afterwards and they could gleam. Anything that was left was for them. They could, the, 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 the people were only allowed to pass one time for themselves. But this is what she said. She said, I, I want to go and I am going to have favor in the sight of the person who I'm going to work for. So in other words, before she goes to work, She's saying, I'm going to have favor with my boss. A lot of people talk about their boss before they go to work. But you know what? They're not saying anything about favor. They're talking about that guy's an idiot. That guy doesn't respect me. That guy doesn't appreciate me. I ought to have his job. But you know what? She was claiming favor with her boss before she went to work. Then uh, just a few verses later. It says that she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened. 
come to that part. It was just a coincidence. And, and literally, listen, the lowest level of favor is when just coincidences happen. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. I just happened to be in Costco. And there was this guy there who came over and said, hey, this is my problem. Will you pray for me? Now, you might think that's just a happenstance. That's a coincidence. But you know what I believe? I believe it's a divine appointment. I believe that God is involved. In fact, I believe that so often our coincidences are just God staying anonymous. He's just setting us up. But like the lowest level of favor is when all these coincidences just seem to happen. It just seems, everything just seems to work out. But then the Bible says just a few verses later that they're putting handfuls on purpose in front of her. She, she's got favor and there's handfuls on purpose. It's just obvious. The favor of God. There is just no reason that this is happening, but really there, there is a reason. It's because God's favor is resting on your life. And I want you to remember, the Bible says that in the beloved, you have, you are accepted, you have that favor. In fact, the Bible would say it this way, you are highly favored. But my question is, do you believe it? Are you confessing it? Because she believed it and she was confessing it. So she came to this spot where now there's handfuls on purpose. And by the way, a few months pass. And uh, the owner of the field takes this shawl that she has and puts in six ephods of flour or, or, or grain. And I, f I, I calculated, and it's just over 100 pounds. All right? And it says that he picked it up and he laid it on her. Now, honey, stand up just for a minute. Now, if I laid 100 pounds on her, how many of you know that's all she could take? I mean, literally, the, the, the favor of God can be so strong on your life that it's just more than you can even handle. You're just like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen next? And it's God's favor on your life. And then, by the way, in another couple months, she owned the field. She owned the field and a lot more. What was it? It was just the favor of God increasing on her life. And the Bible says you are accepted. You are highly favored in the beloved. You're highly favored. But we need to believe it. And just like Ruth, we need to confess it. Believe for favor. Confess that favor. All right. Then the 29th verse. But when she saw him, this is Mary seeing the angel. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about this conceiving in her womb. But before I do that, I wanted to mention one more little thing about favor. Favor, one of the synonyms is grace. Now, how many of you know grace is not what you deserve? Grace is what God does for you that you don't deserve. It's everything that God has done for you and I that we do not deserve. And there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Do you understand that? God doesn't love you because of how good you are. 
In fact, the Bible says, well, we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. So there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. But I want you to listen really carefully. I'm going to make a statement here. There's things you can do to make you love God less. The Bible says this in Hebrews 13. It says, at least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, if you sin, God does not love you less. But listen to me. You love God less. You will love God less because sin hardens your heart. It hardens your heart towards God. You know, the, the deceitfulness of sin is this. I can do this and I will be exactly the same afterwards. I can just say, God, forgive me. And I'm exactly the same. God's exactly the same, but you're not the same. Because your, your, your heart becomes hardened towards God. It begins to turn away from God. Now, there's things that you can do that turn your heart towards God. And in fact, worship, praise, seeking God, taking time, seeking God's face, even giving. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, when I give, it turns my heart towards God. When I pray, it turns my heart towards God. When I worship, it turns my heart towards God. But the idea that we can sin and it will not affect us is a lie, right? It will harden your heart. It will turn your heart away from God. So the angel said to her, he said, you will conceive in your womb. You'll conceive in your womb. And in John, the first chapter, the 14th verse, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And behold, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Now, she's a virgin and the angel says, you're going to conceive in your womb. And notice it is the word that becomes flesh. The word becomes flesh. Now, there are literally over 300 prophecies about Jesus. Words that God has given. Way back in Genesis chapter 315, God said, the seed of the woman is going to crush Satan's head. Genesis 3 chapter 15, Isaiah chapter 9. We, we sang about it this morning. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, his father's kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this over 300 times. God prophesied into existence, literally, the seed of the woman. When the Bible says the word became flesh, it is literally God's spoken word about the Messiah that came to pass. The Bible says in Amos, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. 
In other words, when God is going to do something, he makes sure that it is spoken. Whatever God's going to do, it is first spoken. So the angel said to Mary, for with God, nothing is ever impossible. And no word from God shall be without power. No word of God shall be without power. And it's the power to bring fulfillment of what God has said is in the spoken word. You see, when God created, he said, let there be. And there was. And it came into existence. Whether it was light, whether it was trees, whether it was oceans, God spoke things into existence. For the word of God, it is living and it is powerful. So when God speaks something, no word from God shall be without power or impossible of fulfillment. The word that God speaks has the power in it to bring about its fulfillment. So the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, Therefore, when he, that's Jesus, came into the world. Now, when Jesus was born at Bethlehem, that is not when he began to exist. Here is a conversation that's going on in heaven before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. When he came into the world, before he's up in heaven and he's talking and he's saying, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. It is a conversation going on in heaven. Again, we we just read it, but Isaiah chapter nine and verse six, for unto us a child is born. That is literally talking about Jesus' physical body. A child is born, but unto us a son is given. See, he existed for all eternity past. And, And Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born at Bethlehem. He existed for eternity past, so he had to be given. The son was born, all right? Excuse me, the child was born, but the son was given. In Colossians chapter 1, for by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers, all things were created through him and for him. So, So we need to recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh. He existed, well, but let's say it this way, in the beginning, God. So before the beginning, Jesus was there. But he put aside, Philippians chapter two says, all of his innate deity. And he came and he was found in the form of a human being. He did it because of what God wanted to do for you and for me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself. So God was working on Christ. I can say it this way. He was working in Christ, but he was working on you. Everything that Jesus did, he didn't do for himself. He did it for you. He did it for you and for me. That's what he did for. So God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself. He's working on Christ, but he's working on you because you're in him. And everything that Jesus did is put to your credit. 
Then back in Luke chapter one, in verse 32, he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We're looking from a human perspective, and it is true that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That is true. But that was in the path or in the way to get God to his plan. Because his plan is that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The kingdom is God's plan. Now, did Jesus need to go to the cross? Absolutely. He needed to, to redeem us from our sin. But the reason he needed to redeem us was for the kingdom. We tend to think only about getting to heaven and being forgiven. But what God is thinking about is that he's going to give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Again, when Jesus came, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And fortunately, we are living in the time when anyone can volunteer voluntarily become a part of the kingdom by receiving the king, Jesus. But the day will come when the kingdom will be enforced, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now, when Jesus has risen from the dead, he's spending 40 days with his disciples. And they said to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? As soon as Jesus has risen from the dead, what are they thinking about? The kingdom. Right? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the season. That's in the, 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 the Father's authority. Jesus didn't say it's not, there's not going to be the kingdom. In fact, in Matthew 19, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. When it's talking about the regeneration, it's talking about the thousand year reign of Jesus. And Jesus said, it's going to happen. He said, you're going to sit on 12 thrones. You're going to judge the nation of Israel. You 12 disciples or 12 of the disciples, because one of them kind of got eliminated, another replaced him, but he'll reign over the house of the Lord forever. So I want to give you in, in like four minutes a short picture of coming attractions. Right? First Thessalonians chapter four in verse 13 says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we were alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or who have died. Now notice he says, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. In, in your New Testament, every single author, without exception, even if they just wrote one little chapter, every one of them talks about Jesus coming again. 
Every single one. Now he's talking here about the coming of the Lord. He's going to come back. And the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the next event that I, I will just mention is Jesus coming back. And he's coming back for the church. And we're going to go, and we're going to be with the Lord. And there's going to be a time, you, you, theologians disagree. Some say this is going to be seven years. Some say it's going to be three and a half years. Uh, I, I don't think that it matters which, which way we go with that. I have my personal belief. But what is going to happen is we're going to be in heaven for a, per a short period of time, right? Now, listen to Revelation chapter 20. I saw thrones, and they that sat on the judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their forehead or their hand, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. By the way, six times in six verses it's mentioned. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. Now, notice the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So the church is going to be taken up. Those that are, have died in the Lord are going to be resurrected. Right? And this is referred to, by the way, as you, you can see this as you read your Bible, this is referred to as the resurrection from the dead. From. Not of the dead. Because when the resurrection of the dead takes place, all the dead are raised. But believers take part of the resurrection from the dead. Very, there's, there's, a, there's just a huge difference there. And then after that, that thousand years, then there is what theologians refer to as the eternal kingdom. That's when we find in Revelation 22 that John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God literally gives us a new atmosphere and redoes the earth. And it says that then God's city, Revelation 22, comes down out of heaven and God dwells with him and he wipes away every tear and there's no more death and no more sorrow. That's the eternal kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. In Matthew 25, verse 46, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. By the way, everlasting and eternal, same Greek word. Same Greek word. So how many of you believe that heaven's forever? Jesus used the same Greek word to describe eternal punishment. If there's an eternal heaven, there's an eternal hell. Both are true. But notice it's eternal because there is going to be a kingdom that lasts forever and ever. Revelation 22, 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. There really is a hell to gain and there really is, excuse me, a hell to shun. 
and a heaven to gain. And in God's plan, God sent Jesus to redeem us, but he redeemed us so we could be a part of his eternal kingdom, his eternal kingdom. I want to ask you a question. Do you know that you're right with God? You know, the Bible says this, we've written these things to you that you may know that you have everlasting life. You are supposed to know that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven. And the truth is, if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And if you say, I don't know where I stand with God for sure. I hope I'm right with God. See, that, that's not the way or where you should be with God. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. In fact, I'd like you to bow your head and pray this prayer and surrender your life to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he has for you. You just make these words your own. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. His blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And today I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back and I receive the forgiveness that you have for me. I thank you, you love me. I thank you, I'm your child. I'm on my way to heaven in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer from your heart, you are right with God. And I wanna help you keep growing spiritually. And I wrote a book and I wanna give it to you absolutely free of charge. You can download that book right now, or if you need a hard copy, you contact us. We will send you that copy absolutely free of charge. I want you to know that we love you. We pray for you. And we, we, we want God's best in your life. If you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Dwayne, congratulations. You're on the path to one of the best decisions of your life. Need more info? Our team at walkingbyfaith.tv is ready to answer any questions that you have. Get a free copy of Pastor's book, Your New Life, just as he had mentioned. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to have it mailed, download it there instantly, or listen to the audiobook. Find all these options on our app as well. Packed with practical advice, this book is your guide to living a life full of faith. Claim your free copy now. If Walking by Faith has blessed your life, give back and help us change lives with a tap, click, or text. Just text WBFGIVE to 1-888-364-GIVE, visit walkingbyfaith.tv slash give, or click the giving icon in our app. Your support is the best gift we could ask for. Thank you. Do you want to take your life to the next level? Experience God's favor. It's an undeserved blessing that's already freely given to us all. Learn how to unleash the force of favor in your life with Pastor Dwayne's book. Visit walkingbyfaith.tv to purchase your copy today. Need prayer or want to connect with us? Simply scan the QR code there on your screen and send a prayer request, download our app, or read the weekly devotional and so much more. We pray that you remember that you are blessed and highly favored. It's this divine favor that is unshakable. Merry Christmas from our Walking by Faith family to yours.